Let me pray for us. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, um, you know, there's just some passages of Scripture that are hard. When I considered the prospects of giving a children's message on this Scripture that has Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law and then healing others and, and casting out demons... Thought, whatever am I going to say about this? I mean, how do you talk to children about this? But, but then I got to thinking, how do you talk to adults about it? You know, um, years and years ago, when I was probably in late elementary school, my parents had some very dear friends. Babe and Eileen Glaze were their names, and they had a daughter that was my younger sister Sue's age, Rhonda. And my parents really loved the Glaze family. They were big-hearted people, gracious and generous, and faithful in their life of worship and of following in the way of Jesus My mother particularly loved Babe Glaze because of his exuberant personality and his humor. And Babe developed a malignant brain cancer. And I think that probably drove my mother to her knees every single night. I'm pretty sure she was convinced she could pray that cancer right out of him. But it didn't happen. She was completely and utterly heartbroken. And I don't know that she and God were on such very good terms for quite a while. I think she finally came to understand that God is God and she wasn't. That God has answers that we don't always see. But that's a hard lesson to preach, and it's a hard lesson to know when the person, someone you love and care about deeply, is suffering and dying. So, what are we to say about this seemingly difficult passage of Scripture that is before us? Well, uh, the first thing I want to say is that it's important for us to hear the scholars who write about this. And Werner Kelber, professor emeritus in biblical studies at Rice University, wrote a book called Mark's Story of Jesus. And what he focused on was that Jesus, in the Gospel of Mark, has a very, very clear mission. Jesus, he writes came to announce the whole realm of God and to initiate its arrival in opposition to the forces which threatened to destroy human life. That this was Jesus' central mission. 
Jesus' healings and exorcisms that we hear about in today's gospel reading, his defiance against the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, his challenge to religious elites, all drove towards this single purpose of his mission, to oppose the things that impede the flourishing of human life. Mark's narrative wastes no time in getting to the heart of it. Before the first chapter is up, Jesus has taught with authority, exercised an unclean spirit, and now has healed a woman who was near death and goes on to heal many others and cast out many demons, the story says. And all of this, mind you, listen, all of this happened on the Sabbath. Jesus was at work with his ministry and mission on the Sabbath in direct opposition to the religious elites, the religious authorities of his day. So is it any wonder that everyone is searching for him, the people who want to be healed, and the people who are after him because he is breaking the laws of their faith? Life under Roman occupation was not conditioned to encourage the fullness of human life. It was conditioned to keep the peace, even if it meant some people had to suffer and to die. And this ministry of Jesus, this healing and exorcism, cannot be understood apart from this context. We can't understand what the writer of the Gospel of Mark is trying to do unless we understand the context in which he is writing Roman rule was emotionally and physically and practically destructive to the people in Judea. And Jesus' mission was to overcome these realities. Jesus' healings were not just random acts of kindness on the way to the cross. He didn't do the healing of Peter's mother-in-law simply because Peter had decided to follow him as a disciple. I mean, no, I mean, these healings were central to the very point that Jesus' death and resurrection would make. That God's intention in this world is human well-being and life, even in the face of death. It is important to note that the Roman and Jewish authorities did not execute Jesus because of heresy against Jewish religious beliefs and practices. They executed Jesus for disturbing the supposed peace of the status quo. This morning's gospel reading centers around some key verbs. Listen to what happens in the first paragraph of this reading. The first thing Jesus does after being told of Peter's mother-in-law's illness is that he comes near. He comes close enough to this woman who is ill to take hold of her hand. She, no doubt, would have been considered unclean because of her illness. Mark distinctively emphasizes the power of touch in a lot of the gospel stories, including the idea, as we will see later, that Jesus is unafraid to touch and be touched by the unclean. Jesus then 
the, the Greek verb there is raises her up. It is the same word that is used about Jesus' own resurrection, being raised up. Jesus raises her up, and so the term evokes a renewed strength and reinvigoration, a reawakening, a restoration. And it implies a return to community. And we have to ask then, for what is she restored? The word used there that she is restored, she, gets, she is raised up and begins to serve. She begins to serve. Diakonos. It's the same root that gives us our word deacons. She is the original deacon. She is raised up and begins to serve them. And what is important here is that word diakonos, you know what it actually means? It actually means to kick up dust. That we're supposed to kick up dust. She kicked up dust. It's an active, practical, on the move, change the world sort of verb. In short, she is lifted up to serve. She is freed for ministry to kick up some dust and get some things done. So for the writer of the Gospel of Mark, I think the healing story here is not only a matter of the fever departing. It is also a matter of restoration to community and of participation in the movement and in the social dimension of healing. And this kind, this way of seeing the world And being in the world is always threatening to the powers and principalities that seek to maintain the status quo. Jesus is in the business of the politics of healing, renewing strength, reinvigorating life, reawakening people, restoring life and fullness and wholeness of being. I know I don't need to tell you that we're all too aware of this today. We, we have watched nearly 500,000 of our citizens die from a dreaded pandemic. We can't count the number of people who have lost jobs, who are in, at risk of losing homes, who don't have enough food to put on their table while the, wealthier, the wealthy get wealthier. We know that illness can debilitate the body. It can also cut a person off from their social life and their contribution to community. We know and can feel this loss of dignity or purpose. But note that Jesus didn't just heal Peter's mother-in-law from her illness, but also restored her dignity, raised her up that she might kick up dust. We, too, are people with illnesses that need healing, But we also suffer from a host of fevers, don't we? Mental illness, oppression because of race, nationality, sexual and gender differences. And most especially the fever of poverty exacerbated by the pandemic and economic crisis. We know the fevers of addiction We know the fevers of division and hate and judgment and violence. We too are a people who need Jesus to come 
close and touch us and lift us up and restore us to our right minds and into community. We need Jesus to come close and call us to kick up dust. Moreover, we are desperately in need of restoring our communities and our nation and the world. I heard Professor Ibram X. Kendi, professor at Boston University and director of the Center for Anti-Racist Research, interviewed. And what he said was, if we are going to heal from this rampant, ongoing racism, there will have to be pain. I think of Emmett Till's mother, the the 14-year-old who was um, who was lynched because he interacted with a white woman in a store in Mississippi. When his body was found and returned to his mother, she insisted that the casket in which his body lay be opened so the world could see what had been done to him. Oh, yes, it was painful, deeply, extraordinarily painful for all to see white and black alike, but she knew there could be no healing without that pain. I read in the Dallas Morning News that Reverend Dwight McKissick, who dared to withdraw his church from the Southern Baptist Convention because African Americans, blacks, are only given lip service. They're not given opportunity and leadership and wholeness. And he dared to withdraw his church from that denomination and received a hateful, vicious, racist letter for his actions. Oh, yes. And we who would take the name Christian if we would follow Jesus... We'll have to join our ancient disciple siblings in providing a ministry that heals and restores and kicks up dust even if there has to be pain. It will be a ministry that will restore and reinvigorate and reawaken and rebuild lives and community. That is what we are called to if we're going to take the name Christian and we're going to follow Jesus What's important to note in the passage that we heard today is how the gospel reading concludes. In need of restoration himself, physical, spiritual, vocational, perhaps even afraid for his life because his cousin John the Baptist has been imprisoned by Herod, Jesus retreats to the wilderness to pray, perhaps recalling his 40 days in the wilderness that happened shortly after his baptism. Taken together, the 40-day wilderness and the reading today that says, in the morning, while it was still very dark, Jesus got up and went out to a deserted place. It points to the renewing powers of wilderness the ancient cycle of work and rest, engagement and retreat, action and contemplation. 
and the need for those laboring to restore the world to that they will need to seek out regular, intentional practices of restoration themselves. Or as the assigned Hebrew scripture today from Isaiah says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exalted. But those who wait upon the Lord, do you hear that? Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Remember, Jesus doesn't so much heal with words as with actions. He comes close. He touches. He raises up. He restores. Jesus offers and enacts not just freedom from illness and isolation, but also a freedom for service, ministry, and kicking up some dust. And since this first day of his ministry on a Sabbath, Jesus demonstrates the true meaning of Sabbath, a day for restoration, for health, for resurrection, and for joy. And in this way, through his ministry, Jesus proclaims the Sabbath, the Jubilee, A new dawn of a new era. The time is fulfilled and the whole realm of God has come near as he preaches. And this, the scripture today says, is what Jesus said he came to do. Now, many of us may wonder about these healing stories, these casting out demon stories. And frankly, we're in good company if we wonder Swiss theologian Karl Barth pointed out that miracle stories are designed to astonish, and astonishment is a blend of belief and disbelief. Barth contended that Christian readers should neither merely believe miracle stories, for that would mean they aren't truly astonished by them, nor merely disbelieve them for the same reason. Rather, these stories should take us back. We should wonder And be in awe of them. And in this way, we take our place among the crowds who were amazed. And can turn our attention to the deeper dimensions of Jesus' mission for today. I mean, what death-dealing forces should we tangibly and practically confront? What life-giving service should we tangibly and practically undertake? What dust, or as the late John Lewis said, what good trouble... Do we need to kick up around here? So Jesus came to heal the world, not only of its illness, but of its unhealthy subjugation to empire and to exercise the demonic lies that uphold oppressive systems. And this is the continuing challenge for those of us who proclaim the message of the gospel, the good news today. So the questions continue to rise Does the teaching, healing, and spiritual care that we offer the world succeed in challenging the corrupt foundation of the evils that prevail in the midst of us? Does it say not only what the realm of God is, but also show what is opposed? Do we ask these questions? Because that is what Jesus came to do. And what we, in our baptism have promised to follow. Following Jesus means having the courage to confront the forces of ruin. It means finding ways, even in a pandemic, and even in physical distancing, to tenderly bind up wounds. 
It means not only proclaiming resurrection, but living our lives of resurrection for ourselves and for others. And it means doing all this with our actions as much as or more than with our words. And all the while remembering to retreat for our own restoration. Viktor Frankl, who was a survivor of the Holocaust, said, what is to give light must endure burning. It's like Nikki Giovanni's poem, Mothers. She says, come here, she said. I'll teach you a poem. I see the moon, the moon sees me. God bless the moon. And God bless me. Nikki Giovanni writes that she taught this to her son just to say we must learn to bear the pleasures as we have borne the pain. Those are healing words, my friends. Jesus comes as healer and liberator, calls us to join him and promises to accompany us along the way caring for us as we confront and come near and take hold and lift up and serve. It is a great challenge, perhaps the greatest challenges, challenge that we face. But God, God's love, God's companionship and power are more than enough. Have you not heard? Amen.